Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Well, I too uh, would love to... uh, On behalf of all the folks here, wish Mount Zion and all the folks. I would love to, as well, wish all of our dads a happy Father's Day. Uh, I think it is very intriguing and interesting uh, that we find ourselves today where we are uh, in our study uh, in the Gospel of John on this Father's Day, uh, because this morning uh, we find ourselves talking about humility. And that is interesting to me on this Father's Day because I happen to have grown up with the man I consider to be the meekest, most humble man I have ever known in my entire life, my dad. Uh, Now, he's never really received many accolades at all, awards or recognitions uh, as far as the world goes. But I'll tell you what he has done. Uh, My dad worked faithfully uh, for 40 years as a very loyal employee at the same company. That's kind of rare these days uh, before he retired. Uh, He has loved Jesus his entire adult life and served faithfully as a very hardworking, uh, wonderful layperson at the same local church for over 60 years. He's been a wonderful pattern uh, and leader and shepherd of our family uh, for my sister and I and my mom uh, for many, many years. Uh, This past Thursday, he celebrated 72 years of marriage uh, to my mom. Uh, And that's, again, pretty unusual in this day and time. And uh, he's just been a wonderful pattern for me uh, in living what I would call the Micah 6-8 life, showing me what it is to uh, act justly, uh, to love mercy, and to just uh, live and walk humbly before God. So I'm just very, very privilege to have that, and it's interesting to me that uh, I have the joy and privilege of speaking about humility today, having had that wonderful role model uh, for uh, myself over these years. So this morning, we continue our walk through uh, the Gospel of John, in which Jesus claimed boldly to be the way, not just a way, but the way the only way. And I'll tell you, if you and I can hold on to that, if we can latch on to that, if we can grasp it, oh, if we can embrace this truth, it'll be transformational for us. It will literally rock your life. It'll turn your life upside down. It'll change everything about your life. Uh, And today, as we come to the last half of chapter 3 of John, we are introduced to this cat named John the Baptist in a a new, fresh, real way. We see John the Baptist, and as we look at his life, we see 
that as we walk the way of Jesus through the life of John the Baptist, walking that way is to walk the path of humility. Now, the path of humility is a simple, quiet life, but it's not an easy life. And the path of humility is tough. In fact, it can be quite hard. It can be a hard life at times. Leonard Bernstein, who was the late conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, was once asked, what's the most difficult instrument to play? Without hesitation, he responded, the second fiddle. The second fiddle. He said, it's easy to find many first chair violinists. I can find those all day long. This, it's no problem finding those. But it's very difficult, almost impossible, to find someone to play second fiddle with joy, with enthusiasm, with excitement, with energy. It's really tough to find someone to play that. Why? Because the life of humility, the, the life of quiet meekness is a tough road to hoe. It's a tough path to walk. Way back many years ago in Canton, Ohio, when they first instituted and established the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, there were 17 inaugural members, 17. Among those was Jim Thorpe. Some of you old-timers remember a little bit about Jim Thorpe. He was an amazing athlete. Oh, he could do it all. He could uh, catch and uh, throw and pass and run. He could kick and punt. He was uh, probably the best-known athlete of his day. Uh, just amazing. And after leading his team, the Canton Bulldogs, to three world championships, he was elected as the first president of the NFL. He went on to play six seasons of Major League Baseball and then he entered the uh, 1912 Olympics where he received two gold medals. And then get this, at the closing ceremonies, the closing ceremonies of the 1912 Olympics, he was honored by King Gustav V of Sweden with these comments. King Gustav said to Jim Thorpe, you, sir are the greatest athlete in the world. <laughs> That's quite a statement by the king. You, sir, are the greatest athlete in the whole world. To which Jim Thorpe responded, thanks, king. <laughs> That's it. No, woohoo! No high five, the king. Just thanks, king. Pretty humble, quiet response. We've come a long way in the world of sports in the way of our celebrations. You've seen some of the end zone celebrations lately? I mean, they do group high fives. They do cartwheels and push-ups and uh, sack dances and all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, the worm crawls. Uh, I mean, this stuff is excessive arrogance I mean, it's gotten so bad that now there are automatic 15-yard penalties 
for that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm all for celebrating when you do something good. When you do a fantastic play, I'm all for celebrating that kind of stuff. But this excessive arrogance is going a little too far. It kind of makes me long for the days of Jim Thorpe and the quiet, humble response of, thanks, King. (laughs) So... Uh, what can we learn uh, from our text? Let's, let's get to our text this morning. John chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 22. Let's see what we can learn from John the Baptist. Now, hold on just a minute. So, so we're going to learn about humility from John the Baptist? This crazy guy out in the desert? This maverick who's running around in a camel fur coat eating grasshoppers? This is the guy that is going to teach us about humility? What in the world? Are we really going to learn something from him? Well, let's see. Let's pick up here in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over this matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going out to him. That guy's baptizing, Master, and everybody's going over to him. They were pretty concerned about it. So John's gospel is the only one of the gospels that actually records this period of time, brief period of time, where these two ministries, the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John the Baptist, overlap. It's a brief time because John pretty quickly was thrown in prison. Uh, But there was this brief overlap of the two ministries. Jesus and his guys went up to the Judean countryside, and and they're baptizing. Actually, the disciples are doing the baptizing. Jesus is sort of supervising. And then you have John and his men, and they've gone a little further up north into the area of Samaria. They're in this place called Anon, which translated means spring or fountain. So there's lots and lots of water. In fact, I like what the text says. There was plenty of water and there's plenty of people. Ideal situation for baptizing. (laughs) Lots and lots of water. It's just gushing out everywhere and lots and lots of people. They're just coming out of, of everywhere wanting to be baptized. So it was the ideal situation. It seemed to be a paradise for a baptizer. So John and his men were very, very happy. But all of a sudden, around verse 23 or so, there's a problem. There's trouble in paradise. (laughs) Because these zealots of John, these disciples of his, find themselves in a contentious debate. We'll just call it an argument. They get into this, this trouble, this argument with a certain Jew who wants to talk about ceremonial washings. See, the Jews, they were pretty serious about this purification idea, uh, about being a strict adherent to the law. And so they, this guy was pretty, pretty concerned about it. 
So he comes to them and he says, okay, now look, I'm a good Jew and I'm serious about purification, about these washings. And look, I'm already doing the Essene and the Pharisaic washings. Why do I need a third one? Why do I need this baptism of John? So at first glance, it looks like this guy has a justifiable Jewish question. But if you look closer... It's not really about ceremonial washing. That's not the question. It's not really about that. The question comes down to Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. It was about Jesus. That's what it was about because he goes on to say, and hey, so do I need this third thing by Jesus, uh, excuse me, by John the Baptist? And by the way, if I need that one, do I also need one by this other guy? And John's disciples go, whoa, what? What, what are you talking about? And this certain Jew says, well, there's another guy baptizing down south in the region of, uh, uh, of uh, Judea, uh, he's baptizing also. Do I have to go down there and get by, baptized by him too? And hey, by the way, he's got a lot larger crowd than you guys do. And John's disciples go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Yeah, this guy, Jesus, he's got a whole lot more people than you all do. And so all of a sudden, they get offended And they're concerned. They're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. They're hurt that they don't have the big crowd anymore like they used to. They're hurt that John, their master, might be upstaged. They don't like that. So they're just jealous and envious and hurt and upset. They're longing for a better day. And so they go to their master, John, and they say, look, teacher, teacher, That man, I like the way they say it. They're talking about Jesus. That man that was with you on the other side of the Jordan, well, he's baptizing and he's got a bigger crowd. He's baptizing and everyone is going out to him. Verse 25. He's baptizing and everyone's going to him. And they were really upset about it. I mean, they were deeply concerned about what was happening. You can almost hear the hurt, the anger, the jealousy in their voices. They long for the former days when everyone used to be coming to them. In fact, let me read to you in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the days they are remembering. This is what they remember. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So they're remembering the day when they were the bomb, when, when their crowd, when their party, when everybody was coming to them, and, and they don't like the fact that there's been a paradigm shift. And all of a sudden now, they don't have the crowds anymore. Now, I want you to watch this very carefully. It would have been so easy for John to go with this. It would have been so easy for John the Baptist to listen 
to what his disciples were saying. It would have been very easy for him to hear his followers, to feel injured, to feel neglected, to feel unnecessarily forgotten. Sometimes a friend's sympathy is the worst thing for us. Because all of a sudden, we can feel sorry for ourselves. It can encourage us to feel like we've had a a bad deal, an unfair deal. And it can cause us to start planning this great big fat pity party for ourselves. And then if we're not careful, it gets us into a huge problem. But John had a mind far above that. John responds, watch carefully here, with a heart of humility and meekness. John says, look, fellas, that man that you're talking about happens to be the man. (laughs) He's not just any man. He is the man, Jesus. Don't you realize he's the man I've given my whole life for? That my whole life evolves and revolves around that man. This is the man, Jesus. And whatever you do, John says, don't miss him. Get your eyes off of me. Whatever you do, you can't miss him. Because this is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Don't you remember I told you about him? You cannot miss him. Whatever you do, don't miss him. My whole life has been pointing to him. And so in the text, let's follow closely as we watch John reminding his followers and us of some simple Helpful hints to living a life of humility. Hint number one, remember your calling. Remember your calling. In verse 27, to this John replied, A man can receive only what he is given from heaven. So what is he saying there? A man can receive only what he's given from heaven. Basically, you are given gifts and talents. John is saying, use what you are given in the place to which he has called you. When you do that, there's not a lot of room for jealousy. There's not a lot of room for envy. Remember your calling. Another way to put that is stay faithful where you are. Stay faithful right where God has put you. I know a lot of people who are always looking to climb the ladder. They're looking for the next best position, for the next good opportunity, for the next best spot to move to, or to the next best business opportunity. What a joy it would be if we all... uh, expended our energy, if we all accepted with all of our hearts and did with all of our might the work that God had given us to do in the place he put us to do it. Barclay said, any task done for God is necessarily great. 
any task that you do for him is necessarily great and big and wonderful. If it's washing dishes, if it's changing diapers, <laughs> no matter what it is, if it is done for God, it is a great, wonderful, big, glorious task. Just be faithful to do what he has called you to do. Like John's disciples, you and I worry too much about everybody else. Stop worrying about what others have, what others are doing, where others are going, how others have been blessed. Don't worry about all that. Just focus on what God is doing in your life, what he has given you, what he's put in your hand. Use that where he has placed you in this life and Focus on that and be faithful where you are. Be a good steward of that. Remember your calling and be faithful where you are in the moment. Helpful hint number two, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Verse 28, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. We must always maintain the awareness that he is God and we are not. <laughs> we are simply his humble children. We are children of the king. John the Baptist always worked diligently to make sure his followers understood his role. John 1, 7 and 8 says... And this is talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And in chapter 1 verse 20 we read, He did not fail to confess but confess freely, I am not the Christ he faithfully told his disciples many times, I am not the Christ. And on several occasions, he pointed to Jesus and said, look, there is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Peter offers us similar advice in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. Let's look at what he has to say to us. Young men... In the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I find it interesting that this, this text here about the devil being a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour is connected to encouragement for us to stay humble and meek and to avoid pride and arrogance. Find that interesting? And here's why. I think what that's saying is that someone who is prideful and self-confident and arrogant is a very easy target for Satan. When, when you're in that mindset, you're a very easy target 
for him to hit. You're a big bullseye for him to knock off. But on the other hand, if you live a quiet, humble, meek life, you're much more difficult for him to reach. Remember who you are. You're a humble child of the king. Hint number three, remember why you are here. This one is really, really important. They're all important, but this one is key. Remember why you are here. And we'll look at verses 29 and 30 for this. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. He is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. John is saying, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. That's me. That's who I am. (laughs) That's my job. I am the friend of the bridegroom. That's why I'm here. In Jewish terms, he was the shoshben. That was the friend of the bridegroom. The shoshben had a unique role in the Jewish wedding. He was the the liaison between the bride and the groom. He made all the arrangements for the wedding. He delivered all of the wedding invitations. He presided at the wedding feast. He took care of all that. But most importantly of all, his primary task, his special duty, was to get the groom and the bride together. That was his number one responsibility. He was responsible for making sure the bride and the groom got together. If he failed on that, he failed miserably. It was an epic fail. (laughs) So he had to make sure that he got the bride and the groom together. So this was his primary duty. He waited outside the bridal chamber where the door was shut. And he guarded that door to make sure no one, no false lover, no one else could get in that door. He waited outside the door and he listened intently for the bridegroom to come. And when he heard the groom coming, when he heard the bridegroom's voice, he started to rejoice. He started to get excited because he knew that the bridegroom was coming. And when the bridegroom came to the door, he opened the door and ushered the bridegroom in. Then he got the bride, the shoshbin got the bride and ushered her into the presence of her groom. Are you getting this? Jesus is the bridegroom. And he ushers the bride into the presence of her groom. Now, once that is done, the shoshbin has done his job, and he gets out of the way. He closes the door, he fades from view, and he pretty much vanishes. He's gone. He gets out of the way. He's gone. His job is done. When you understand the shoshbin, the context of the shoshbin, then you can understand verse 30 where John says, he must become greater, the bridegroom, and I must become less and less, and less. You get it? (laughs) The point is, for you and for me, our job is to get people into the presence of Jesus. That's our job. That's our number one responsibility as Christians. We're an epic fail if we're not doing that. If we're not getting our friends and the people we work with and go to school with and live around us, if we're not getting them into the presence of Jesus, 
We're not doing our job. We've got to get people into the presence of Jesus. But here's the thing. We can't get in the way. Sometimes there's too much of us. We cloud people's view. We cannot afford to cloud people's view of Jesus. We cannot afford to get in the way. He must become greater and we must become less and less and less and less. We cannot afford to get in the way of people's view of Jesus. May God help us to become less and less and less. It's so important that we get out of the way so that we not impair others' view of Jesus. Our number one job is to get people into the presence of Jesus. (laughs) William Carey worked as a cobbler for a number of years in his early days before God called him to India. These days, we know William Carey, if you've studied the history of the church and the history of missions, we know William Carey as the father of modern missions and probably one of the greatest linguists and translators of the Bible in all the world. It is said that he translated the Bible into as many as 24 different Indian languages. Absolutely amazing. But here's what's really interesting. When he first went to India as a young man, the people in authority there didn't like him. They did not want him in India. They they didn't, didn't appreciate his presence. And they treated him with contempt and ill will. They, they just didn't want him there. And so he was invited to this upscale dinner party one evening. And a lot of the dignitaries were there. And there was a very distinguished guest who spoke in a rather loud voice uh, to Carrie that night. And the attempt by this distinguished guest was to embarrass and humiliate uh, the, the young missionary, the young upstart missionary. And the guest said in this loud voice, So I understand, Mr. Carey, that you once worked as a shoemaker. And Carey responded, No, sir. No, sir. That's not correct. I didn't work as a shoemaker. Just a cobbler. Just a cobbler. He wanted to make sure that everyone understood that he didn't make the shoes. He just mended them. He just repaired them. That's all. If you and I are going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, it's really important that we remember our calling, that we stay faithful right where we are. Don't worry about getting ahead or the next big whatever. Stay faithful right where you are. Remember your calling. Remember who you are. He is God. You are not. 
You are a humble child of the King. And remember why you're here. You are here to get people into the presence of Jesus. He must become greater. And you must become less and less and less and less. Oh, Jesus, help us to become less and less and less. This morning, our altar is going to be open as the band comes to share with us in a final song. And I want to just encourage you to to be open. Uh, I don't know what the Lord is saying to you, but for me, I personally need help. If I'm going to walk this walk of humility, like I say, it's a, it's a path of quietness and a path of simpleness, but it's tough. It's not easy. And so this morning, I encourage you to just be open to him. And maybe it would help just to quietly slip forward to the altar and ask him for a little help in becoming less and less and less so that your friends and those you work with or go to school with would see more and more of him and less and less of you. Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us with that. In this moment, as we quiet ourselves before you, help us to become less and less while you become more and more and more in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.